Great. Well, thanks for being here tonight, everyone. And um, I think first thing we should do, well, maybe I shouldn't do that first thing. I was thinking of getting you to hand in your homework first thing, but why don't, why don't you keep your books for now, and then we'll try to remember at the end if you, uh, you want to pass in your homework, and uh, I'll mark it probably this week and, and get it back to you right away. We are on um, lesson two, how to know the Bible. This is our second time in lesson two, and like I kind of said at the beginning, we're, we're not going to go through this super slow, but we are going to kind of often do multiple lessons uh, for each lesson that FOF has. So we are on how to know the Bible, and um, the first thing that we looked at last time was why should we know the Bible? And uh, let's just kind of throw this out. Remember, this is supposed to be a little bit interactive here this, this time. What were some of the reasons why, or, or even what are some of the reasons that you could just think of now that we should get to know the Bible? Because it's biblical to know the Bible. <laughs> Okay, to know the Bible is to be biblical. Good, that's great. Thanks, thanks very much. To know who God is, good. That's how God speaks to us. Yeah, that's good. Um, I've I've heard it said if you want to hear God speak to you, then read the Bible out loud. That's the only way. <laughs> you guys with me? <laughs> that's good. Okay. What was that, Charles? I missed that one. <laughs> That's good. Um, <laughs> you don't be embarrassed. That's awesome. I'm glad he, glad he's sharing. Any anyone else? Why why should we know the Bible? Yeah, to know salvation. Good job, Aiden. To know salvation. That's how we learn about salvation. And uh, once we are saved, what else do we want to kind of have happen in our lives? To walk in righteousness and not sin against God. Sounds like someone's been reading right out of the, the book there, but that's really good. Um, remember the, the FOF book under why, why Know the Bible? I don't have the page numbers for you, but some of the reasons were 2 Timothy 2.15, to be approved by God, a, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, which we're going to do that. That's our memory verse. We'll do that in a minute. Second or 1 Peter 2.2, to grow in salvation. Psalm 119, verse 11, to not sin against God. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's really a, a great verse to uh, even memorize. Psalm 119, 38, which I don't have memorized, talks about how to uh, produce reverence for God. The word of God produces reverence for God. Psalm 119, 105, it's a light to our path and um, guides our way. So those are just some reasons to know the Bible. I think we added to that a little bit as well. Uh, remember our memory verse from last time. Do you guys know the memory verse from lesson one? Let's do it together. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be, this is verse 17. This wasn't your memory verse, but the, that the man of God may be like complete, equipped 
for every good work. So if we want to be equipped for every good work, we need to know the Word of God. If we want to be useful and effective and build rewards for ourselves in heaven, then we need to know the Word of God. Um, FOF has a, a suggested question here. I don't know if we even talked about this much la- last time, but what do we mean when we talk about that verse, 2 Timothy 3.17, that the, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's speaking about the sufficiency of Scripture. What do we mean when we say this, that Scripture is sufficient? Anyone remembers? What, what are we talking about? Is this, go, sure, go ahead. Just It's all we need for life and godliness. Yeah, good. Good answer. It's all we need. See, it's, we, we believe and Scripture teaches that that's, that's what, that's all we need. We need, the Word of God is gonna equip us for everything in order to glorify God. It's gonna give us everything we need for our marriages. It's gonna give us everything we need to glorify God in this world, to worship Him, to live for Him. There's things in, that aren't in Scripture. You know, calculus, um, equations aren't in Scripture, but we don't necessarily need that in order to live for God in this world. Um, and so everything that we need is, is in the Scripture. And so that's why we need to know the Bible. So then we talked about how, this is just review, how should we know the Bible? And we talked about these five categories. The first one is we need to hear the Bible. Hear the Bible. Uh, what, what do we even mean when we say hear the Bible? It's different than reading the Bible. What, what, is, what would hearing be? Yeah, preaching. What else might come under hearing the Bible? Listening, yeah, good. And and listening to what in particular? Preaching and what else would we what are we doing right now? Teaching, yeah, great. Preaching and and teaching. That's what we're talking about when we talk about hearing the Bible. Um let's go to let's go to first Timothy four thirteen again and just look at I think we looked at this last time. But scripture even commands us to do this. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself, very strong word there, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So there's this command that, that we need, that, that teachers, preachers need to devote themselves to the public reading of Scripture. And then go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter, not chapter 2, 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, Paul says there, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, very solemn charge here, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so there's this command that the word of God is to be preached. Why do we why do we need to hear the Bible read and preached? What are some reasons you guys can think of? Why do we need the Bible read and preached? For sanctification to help us grow? Yeah. Um 
does it, why, why not just read it ourselves? I'm not saying we shouldn't read it ourselves, but what, what, like, what's this, why do we need to have it preached? Constance? Yeah, good. God has directed people. I'm, I'm just kind of, so that everyone can hear. God has directed people that there would be p- people who are, are kind of gifted and called and equipped to preach and teach the word so that we can understand the word better than we would if we just read it by ourselves. And I, I hope that you find that. I hope that as we kind of work through book by verse by verse through the Bible on Sunday mornings that, that you go, man, I've read that passage a few times and, and I never, I never saw all that. I never, you know, it, it becomes more applicable in your life. You understand not only what is it saying, but what it means and, uh, how to, how to live that out. And I think that's because, you know, when somebody's focusing on it and going to teach on it, they're going to, they're going to study more. They're going to learn more and they're going to, they're going to then, you know, give the fruit of that labor. And it's, and, and it's going to be beneficial. And God has designed it that way. He has established people who are gifted to preach and teach and equip the church. So not only, you know, we just saw that that's what the Word of God does. It teaches and corrects. It teaches and reproves and corrects and trains in righteousness. But now there's also people who are, are supposed to preach the Word so that all of those things happen in the life of the church. So good. So we need... We not, not only need to, to read the Bible ourselves, we need to hear it preached. We read it. We study it. These are, this is how we know the Bible. Number four, we memorize it. And uh, we talked about why memorizing is helpful, helps us to fight sin, to have verses in our mind. The Spirit can use those verses to, to kind of remind us of things, to, cause us to turn away from sin. That's how Jesus fought against sin in his life, by quoting scripture to the, the devil. Uh, another really helpful area for memorizing scripture is just just so that we can share the gospel with people. Um, I was going to bring one. I didn't bring one, but I, I have a little gospel card that I've made that has kind of headings that go through the gospel, talking about who God is, who man is, who Christ is, and and what sinners need to do in order to respond to the gospel. And under each of those headings, I have multiple memory verses that are, that are helpful so that when you're sharing the gospel, you can just quote the scripture to the people you're sharing with, because we believe it's the scripture that's the power of God, not my words, not my explanation necessary, but scripture itself comes with God's authority. And so that's a, that's a very, very helpful set of verses to memorize. But really any scripture that we have memorized is going to be useful in our lives so that we can share the scripture with others. And so it's very important to memorize scripture for our own spiritual good and to be helpful in other people's lives. And then finally, meditating on it. And we talked about that. I hope we talked about that, that that we don't mean some kind of like Eastern meditation. We're not trying to empty our mind and meditate on the scripture. What we're doing is we're just thinking about what does it say? What does it mean? How do I apply this? Why why this word? Why that word? And, And really digging deep thinking on the scripture. Um, remember Psalm chapter one, blessed is the man who 
is in the Word like night and day. He's going to be like rivers or like a, a stream planted by living waters or a tree planted by living waters. And um, his fruits or his leaf isn't going to wither in good times or bad times. And so, um, <laughs> unlike my memorization of that verse, but uh, um, anyways... That's, that's, that's the idea of, of this meditating on scripture, just chewing it over like a, like a cow kind of chews the cud, just over and over, meditating, thinking, and that's how we, we go deep in the scripture. So, these last couple, we're gonna look at in more detail today. We're gonna, we're gonna kinda talk about, um, how to, how to study scripture, how to meditate on scripture, and, and kinda get into this, these two last ones a little bit more. So that was review. Here's our, our memory verse, and I, I probably shouldn't put it up for that. So does it show up if I do that? Okay. Um, so let's do our memory verse. Do you guys, do you guys know it? I can't, uh, oh, there we go. Perfect. I did do that right. Okay. Um, you guys ready? I don't actually, I don't actually have it very memorized here yet. Okay, ready? <laughs> I'm totally cheating here right now. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. You guys got that? Do your best. Oh, see, and I'm reading it from the wrong version. I'm reading it from the book itself, but we're, we're doing it in the ESV here. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. That's the memory verse for lesson two on how to know the Bible. So let's just talk about this verse a little bit. What does it imply that this verse says, rightly handling the word of truth? What does that imply? That we're to do this, that we're to do our best to rightly handle the word of truth. What does that imply maybe on the other side of that? Any of you guys got any answers on that? Correct understanding. Um, yeah, good, getting there. So there, so there is such a thing as a correct understanding, right? What, what would be on the opposite side of that? Wrongly dividing. Yeah, good, wrongly dividing the word. So, it's possible, and this is what we're getting to today here, it's possible to incorrectly or wrongly divide the word of truth. Remember, uh, let's, go to, let's go to Peter. Let's go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3. Second Peter 3.15, Peter says this, he says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of all the, uh, uh, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. 
So there's a, this, this idea here that, you know, Peter acknowledges there's some things that, that in Paul's letters that are hard for us to understand, but these ignorant and unstable people, they, they're twisting them to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And so it's possible to twist scripture. It's also possible to rightly divide the word of truth. And so we need to make sure that we are doing the latter, that we are rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, otherwise, it's very dangerous, right? It's, it's to their own destruction. It's very dangerous. And, and God holds us accountable when we misinterpret his word. And that's something that we should be ashamed of. It's, it's actually interpreting the scripture. And I don't know how much we're going to get into this tonight, but this is important. Interpreting the scripture is actually a moral issue. You just think about all the times Jesus said, have you not read? We talked about this in men's ministry as well, uh, just this last week. But Jesus expects us to be able to read the word and understand it. And and we're morally culpable. We're, we're guilty if we misinterpret God's word. And so it's a, it's a moral issue as we'll, we'll get into a little bit more later. Something that we need to be ashamed of when we, when we don't do it rightly. And so it's very, very important for the good of our own soul, for the good of others. And, uh, on the day of judgment, we'll be ashamed where we've misinterpreted, misapplied, misused the word of God. And that's something that, that God takes very seriously. Just like we don't like it if somebody misinterprets our words, God doesn't want us to misinterpret His Word. And uh, God is clear with His Word. He's This is a revelation. We talked about that a few times ago. This is a revelation. He's revealing Himself to us in His Word. And it's made for us to be able to understand, even though at the same time, it's exceedingly deep. There's a lot in here but we're able to rightly interpret it. And this is something that, that Paul also says here. He says, do your best. And uh, he also says here that you're a, like a worker. And so it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some diligence is how other translations translate that. Do your best. It's a, it's a vigorous word. And, uh, and we need to work hard to rightly interpret the word of God. So that's our memory verse and uh, that kind of leads us then into the Bible study process. The, uh, this is how we study the Bible. And so we're going to dig deeper here on, on studying, on meditation. And MacArthur lays out five steps for us in our workbooks. The first step is preparation. And then we have observation, interpretation, application, and then finally, repetition. We're gonna, we're gonna do this again and again and again. We need to be prepared. We need to observe the text. We need to interpret the text. We need to apply the text. And then we need to do it over and over again every time we study the Word of God. So let's talk then number one about preparation. And we're thinking about kind of coming to the study. We're, we, we've got the Word of God. We've read the Word of God. Now we're gonna study the Word of God. What's the number one problem that scripture presents when we want to understand the Bible? What's the, what's the number one thing in our way when we want to interpret scripture? Yeah, sin, right? Good. Anyone want to elaborate on that for us? Why, why is sin a problem for us? 
Pride gets in the way. Yeah, how do you how do you mean maybe? Okay, you have to be. Yeah, you have to be humble to to not insert yourself in. Is that what? You, yeah. Okay. So to to not read into the scripture something that's not there. Yeah. Good. What what else? How else does sin sin separates us from God? Okay. Good. Obscures our vision. Yeah, we we come to it wrong. Um, I think sometimes we we don't want to do what it says, and so we just we kind of we would just like these guys that we read about that that um, twisted the scriptures to their own destruction. Sometimes we twist scriptures to fit our own desires and and suit our own ways. Um, anything else that you would say about that? Well, I think you guys nailed it there. Sin is the the number one problem. And uh, I think we're going to just look at a few scriptures here about this. So, and we're talking, remember, we're thinking about preparation, coming to the Word of God to study it. The, the, the big problem is sin. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And what we learn from this verse, there's lots that we, we could see in Romans chapter 1, but by nature, men and women are ungodly, unrighteous, and in that unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. We, the idea is like we, we push it down, we, we hold it in, we, we don't want to face the truth, we don't want to interact with the truth, because the truth condemns us for our sin, and so we're, we, we fight against the truth kind of by nature, and of course that's going to lead to the twisting of scripture, uh, misapplication, uh, you know, if we went on in the context, it would, it would show that we don't want to worship God, we want to worship the creature, we want to worship ourselves, we want to do what we want to do, and so we suppress the truth in order that we might do that, and of course... We're guilty for that. God holds us accountable for that. Uh, we don't have any excuse because we know that God made the world and that he's the true God and that we should worship him and that at the end of that section in verse 32, that those who practice such things of all the sins that he lists there are worthy of death. But anyways, this is our, this is kind of just showing us this, this problem that we have. By nature, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, another verse is uh, that kind of shows us this, 1 Corinthians 2.14. In that context there, it says that the natural person, speaking about the unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural unsaved person has this resistance again to the Word of God. They don't accept the things of the Spirit of God. In the context, the things of the Spirit of God there is really the gospel. Their foolishness to him, the gospel is foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it in a, a life-changing kind of way where he applies the, the word of God to his life because as a natural person, as an unsaved person, he's not spiritual and doesn't have the capacity in order to, to rightly understand the word of God. 
And so I think by, from this verse, one of the things we can understand is that in order to rightly understand scripture, we actually need to be saved. We need to be a born again person. Now, the, the, the Lord is going to work through the hearing of the word in the unbeliever in order to call them to, to true salvation, open their eyes. And so there's a sense in which through the word, somebody's going to get saved. But in order to really understand the word and accept it and understand it and, and apply it and live it, we need to be a saved person. That, that suppression of the truth needs to be overcome. And that's what is overcome in salvation. So if we're going to rightly interpret the word and know the scripture, we need to be born again people. We need to understand and accept the gospel. We need God's grace in our life. Another verse that just shows us our problem is sin is Romans 8, 7. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Again, this is speaking about an unbeliever. For it does not submit to God's law. The, the person who's, who's set on the flesh, this person who's hostile to God, doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so again, we see that that um, we need to be saved in order to rightly understand Scripture. So, preparation. That slide wasn't supposed to come up all at once, but I was going to ask you, what do we need to overcome? The prejudice of uh, against God and against His Word. We need to have, be saved. And then the, the remaining sin in our lives needs to be dealt with as well. So we need sanctification in order to really rightly understand the Word. And so that's kind of preparation. You need to be saved, and then you need to be growing in, in holiness. Uh, you need to be growing in, uh, in godliness and uh, loving and living out the truth if you want to know the Word of God in any depth. So Peter gives this advice then, 1 Peter chapter 2, Verses 1 and 2, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And so that's the, the kind of negative. Put these things off. And then he says, on the positive side now, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. And he's talking about the Word of God here, this pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So if we want to know the Bible, there's kind of this twofold thing, Peter says. On the one hand, you got to put off all sin, all malice, all hypocrisy, all envy, get rid of that stuff, and then desire the Word of God like a, like a newborn infant. And you kind of get this picture of a, a hungry newborn infant. They just, they want that milk and they, they cry out for it. And that's, that's what we need to do as well. So put off the one and then put on the other. Uh, or, Another thing that in order to prepare, if we want to come and, and know the, the Bible as well, a very important thing is to pray and ask the Lord to show us, ask the Lord to teach us. And so we can pray for others this way. We see this with Paul in Colossians. He says, from the day we heard, and, and what did he, he hear in the context? He heard that they were believers. He heard things that kind of gave him confidence that these are, are saved people and so from the day that he heard that, he says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so just notice here, 
I should um, do this. But he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will and, and spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what Paul's praying for. He's praying that, that the Lord would open their eyes and their hearts and their understanding that they would, that they would know God. And of course, when we know God, all of this other stuff is going to happen. This walking in a manner worthy of the Lord and all that. But, but there's a prayer here. And this is part of our, our preparation. We should be praying this prayer for one another, for the church, that we would be filled with this knowledge in order that we might learn from the Word of God and, and really put it into practice in our lives. And then we can pray this prayer for ourselves. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes, the psalmist prays, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And so there's this prayer. And um, I, th- I think that's all I want to say. I-, I guess I want to say one more thing in this kind of area as far as preparation. I think it's, a- it's helpful to realize that the natural suppressing the truth and unrighteousness that we have and, and maybe the, the natural blindness that we have before we're saved, that is then overcome in salvation when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And so there, there might have, there, there never was an excuse. I don't want to say that. There never was an excuse for us to, to misinterpret and misunderstand God's word. But now at an even greater level, if we have the Spirit of God, that's the Spirit who inspired the writing of Scripture. And his role, part of his role is to illumine us, to give us that spiritual wisdom and understanding in order that we might know the truth of God. And so the Spirit is the one who guides us into all truth. And so whatever natural kind of hostility that we had against God and his word has now been, we've been delivered from that by the salvation that we have in Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit and the fact that he the one who inspired the scripture lives within us. He helps us to rightly understand and interpret and apply the word of God. Uh, any questions about that preparation side of the study? All right, well, let's go then, secondly, to observation observation. And what we're getting into here in observation is we're getting into what we call hermeneutics. And that's a, that's a big word. It, it just means the, the art and the science of interpreting scripture. Um, and when we say art, we're not, we're not talking about, um, you know, I think there's kind of like a subjective part of art. We're talking about the objective skill. So when, when we say the art and science of interpret, biblical interpretation, we're really talking about the skill of interpreting God's word. And it's a skill that we can learn and grow in. Um, it's also a science because there's only one meaning and, and we need to, we need to get to that meaning. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, what does it mean to you? That is like, that is the worst question that there is. It, it doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it means. Um, and hermeneutics is the, the kind of the principles that are going to help us to, to get to the right meaning. That's what really what Paul is talking about in this verse when he tells Timothy to, to do your best 
to prepare yourself or to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. We're talking about rightly handling the word of truth. We're talking about how do we interpret the word of God. And the question isn't so much like, do I have hermeneutics? Everyone has hermeneutics. It's just, are they, are they good? Are they right? Right? We all are interpreting scripture. The question is, are we doing it the way that we should? And I, I think it's helpful just to realize whenever you read anything or listen to any communication, you're, you're doing interpretation. You're, you're, you're applying hermeneutics. It's just, are you, are you, are you applying the right ones? Um, you know, in, in this section, one of my friends sent me some of his slideshows and he just had a, I should have probably put it on the screen, but I didn't, I didn't bother, but he just had a, a piece of paper. It was like some kind of a, it doesn't even matter what it was. It was a, a written page out of a book and they just circled certain words down the page, just kind of whatever words. And if you kind of followed the circle words down the page left to right, it, it made a sentence that had nothing to do with what that book was about. And, and you know, that, that's not how we interpret scripture. Um, the, we, we don't just open up randomly to any passage and just read it and, and whatever kind of pops into our mind in that moment, uh, you know, it is, is kind of the meaning or something. I, I, you know, I, some of you are laughing because you've kind of seen that done. And, um, I, to be honest, I read scripture that way a little bit earlier in my Christian life too, kind of almost like a magical, like, Oh, God's going to speak to me. Let's see what he says. Oh, you shall not bind themselves. And then you kind of make some whole teaching out of that or something. Well, you know, that's not how we interpret anything. And so we all are applying some kind of hermeneutics. Just the question is, are they, are they proper and good hermeneutics? And so what we're doing, we're, we're going to observe and, and this whole observation section and, and interpretation is, is about hermeneutics. And what we're asking is, is what's happening in this passage? What's, what's going on? What can I see? And, and that's again, that's hermeneutics. And so there's, there's lots of things involved in observation and, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna go super deep into all this. Um, but let me just, I think I've just got the, the things here. So historical background, genre, the context and the content, like the actual, let's say, let's say we're, uh, well, in, in your, actually, let's go to second Corinthians. Um, let's go to right now. Let's go to second Corinthians four. Just some, some favorite verses of mine, I guess. Second Corinthians four, verse three and four, it says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so we're going to, if we're going to look at, at, at and study this passage, we're going to have to observe some things. And, and some of the things we're going to start with is, is the historical background. What, what is, what is 2 Corinthians? Who wrote 2 Corinthians? When did they write it? Why did they write it? Who did they write it to? Who are the Corinthians? What, what's, the, what's the goal of this letter? 
And then we're going to kind of, that's the historical background. Then we're going to look at the genre. Well, what, what kind of a writing is this? Is this a, is this a, it's an epistle, right? And so it, it's not a gospel. It's not a psalm. It's not prophecy. Um, we're, we're understanding the genre. Then we're going to look at the context and we're going to kind of see what's in the whole letter of Second Corinthians. And then we're going to look at this, this particular passage and we're going to look at the words and the verbs and the relationship between the words in that, in those verses themselves. And so that's historical background, genre, context, content. We'll, we'll look at those a little bit more slowly in a minute here. Um, so the first thing that we want to do, if we're going to observe something in a passage, and we're talking, how do we know the Bible? We, well, we, we need to make some observations. We need to know the historical background. And so, like I just said, some of the things when we're talking about the historical background, we want to know who wrote this letter, and when did they write the letter, and who did they write the letter to, and what, what's this letter all about? And remember, even in the very beginning of this class, we went through all the books of the Bible, and we just showed the, the purpose statements of the letter. Um, that, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about in the historical background. And so if we're in 2 Corinthians, I didn't, I didn't make any notes on this, but if we're in 2 Corinthians, we kind of get the sense that 2 Corinthians is, is written by the Apostle Paul. I don't quite remember the date that it was written, but it was, um, I think it was a little bit earlier in his ministry before he was imprisoned in Ephesus and, and so forth. Um, I don't quote me on that right now though, but it was written and it was written largely to defend his ministry. So he's, he's defending his ministry. And so we kind of know that that's what's going to be happening as we come to that. That's part of understanding the historical background. And then the other thing that we want to kind of understand is the, the broader historical background. And that's what we call redemptive history. And so we kind of want to know, well, where did second Corinthians come in, in the whole scope of the Bible? You know, it's not, it's not Genesis. It's not, you know, it's not, um, it's not in the Old Testament. This is New Testament, New Covenant. And we kind of understand that, you know, this is about the gospel has come. Jesus has already come. This is after Jesus has resurrected. And so we kind of understand redemptive history because, um, all through time, God's been accomplishing his plans. And the biblical authors kind of know that. And so we, we kind of want to know where does this particular book fit into God's plans? And then the other thing we want to know as we, as we study the, the Word of God and, and get to know the Bible and we're doing observation, we, we want to know kind of the, what we call the micro historical details. And that would be things like geography and background. So maybe Second Corinthians isn't helpful for this, but if we went to the passage that we looked at this morning in Matthew 14, 13 to 21, and, and Jesus is going across the Sea of Galilee and he's in a desolate place. And so his part of the historical background would just be understanding where's the Sea of Galilee and what is the other side of the Sea of Galilee and what, what would the... Um, what would a desolate place on that side of the lake look like? And I probably could have done a better job today of, of describing that for you. But, but if you, you kind of get the sense of, you know, this isn't, this is a place where you wouldn't expect bread and now there is bread, right? And, and so you, those are the kinds of things that we're looking for in the historical background. If we're going to really understand a biblical text, then the next thing we want to do is, is look at the genre. 
And, and you do this kind of naturally. You know, just think about the differences in how you read a newspaper or how you read the big deal bulletin um, versus maybe how you read a, a prescription from a doctor or a poem. Uh, or, you know, we could, we could kind of go in biblical terms. You could think about a, uh, um, a book of prophecy or something like that. It's, it's, you know that it's different. And so you, you read it different and you come with different expectations. You know, when you, when you read the big deal bulletin and there's a house in there and it, and there's a description of the house and the price on the house, you know that that, that house is for sale. You just, it, you know that automatically. But if I came and I just described my house and was just telling you about what, what my house is and how big it is and how many bedrooms I have, it's, it's not for sale. We're just kind of talking about our house. I, that, maybe that's the dumbest example ever, but it kind of, um, you know, you get the idea of, of what do we expect when, when there's a different genre. Um, yeah, I think a prescription might be a, a helpful example. When the doctor writes a prescription, you don't even need to read that thing. You just take that to the pharmacist and hand that thing in. And when, when you give that thing to the pharmacist, they know exactly what it is and they interpret it that way. And so genre already kind of starts to give us expectations as well as the historical background of, of what a text is going to be about. So we come to a text, we know what's going on, we know who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they wrote it to, we know what kind of a letter it is. For example, if we're reading a historical narrative, we know that that's going to just tell us details in a story about what happened in the past. And that th- that whole thing that happened in the past has something to do with what God is doing in 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 saving his people from their sins. But that's going to be very different than if we come to uh, a New Testament epistle. We're going to expect in a New Testament epistle that the first part of the letter is going to tell us about the doctrine of Christ and salvation. And so at some point, there's going to be a transition. And in the second half of that letter, the author is going to start telling us what we should do and how we should live and give us commandments to obey. And so it's going to be very different than a, a story about David and Goliath or whatever. And so when we, the genre already starts to kind of set our expectations about what are we going to, what's this book or what's this passage going to do? In 1 Corinthians, I'm expecting Paul to um, explain the gospel or, or defend his ministry to me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm coming there with, with these right expectations. And it's going to be very different if I'm reading, say, the book of Matthew about what happened to Jesus when he crossed the uh, the water. So just different types of biblical genres, historical narrative, poetry, po- prophecy, epistles, Gospels, maybe we could have wisdom literature in there. Um, I, I probably should have added that as well. But the, those are just some of the different genres. And, and with each one, we have a little bit of different expectations of what we're going to see. If, we, if we're going to come to a prophecy, we're going to expect symbols. And we're going to expect um, this kind of like grand language about, about things that are, that are kind of strange. And we're going to have to interpret those symbols. And it's going to be a little bit different than other books of the Bible. So that's genre. Then the, the next thing is we need to read, we need to read books and follow their con, uh, context. Very, very important. This is where a lot of people, you know, make mistakes in interpretation is just by, by not following the context. So let's go and lo- let's look at a verse here. Go to James 
chapter 2. Look at James 2.24. It says there, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And if we just took that verse, just kind of, just right out of there, we don't do this with anything else, by the way. We, you never open up a novel and just read one sentence. But, the, you know, sometimes people do that with the scripture and they come to this verse, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And, and if you just take that verse out of context, you're going to end up with a totally false gospel. Uh, another place where, and, and I'm not even going to go to, I know you guys know that, that that's not right and that James is talking about something else. But go to Matthew 18. This one's often used as well, uh, out of context. Matthew 18 and verse 20. It says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, who is I in that passage? Who's the I? Who's speaking? Matthew 18, 20. Jesus. Great. Perfect. And What's the context of Matthew 18? Does anyone know? Church discipline. What's not the context? Anyone know? A prayer meeting. Yeah, sometimes this, this is a verse often used in a prayer meeting. Oh, the two or three are gathered. Jesus is right here, brother. You know, all right. You know, and it maybe feels great. And, and it's true. Jesus is always with us. Even when one person's gathered, the Lord's with us. He promised never to leave us or forsake us. But there's a special sense in which Jesus is with us in the midst of church discipline. And I think that's really helpful to remember in times of church discipline. But we don't want to take that verse out of context and apply it to a prayer meeting. Um, even if it's true that Jesus is always with us, we shouldn't draw it from this verse if that if this verse isn't teaching that about a prayer meeting. And so we want to get the truth from the passages that we're in. We don't want to teach truth from passages where we're wrongly handling the Word of God. And, and that's very, very important. And so we need to follow the context. Now, context is a word that we use often and maybe don't even understand what it is. Context is, is helpful information that that surrounds the passage that we're looking at. Helpful information that, that surrounds the passage we're looking at. Or another way to think about context is just following the flow of thought or the argument of a book. And so we wanna, we wanna follow, if we're, if we're reading Matthew, we wanna follow what is Matthew saying and, and what, why is, why is he saying this story now? And, and what's happening in this book? And, and, and you're kind of, or, or if you're in like an epistle, you're, you're tracing Paul's argument through the book so that you understand like why he's saying this and this and this. And so we need the, the truth that a passage teaches. We need to, to draw that truth. That's, that's God's word to us. And we don't want to draw a truth that's found elsewhere and, and read it in. And so that's what, that's what context is all about. Any, any questions about context?
Again, we're just observing. So you, you, you're gonna, you wanna know what the Bible teaches. You, you understand the historical background. You understand the genre. Now you're, you're, you're following the context. You're following the flow of thought. You understand the surrounding passage. And now you're gonna get to your verse, the verses that you're looking at. And I, I, I call that content. And what we're looking at when we talk about content is what is actually in a passage. What, what the passage actually says. And in order to see what the passage actually says, you're going to have to know a little bit of grammar, or at least, even if you don't know the names of these things, you're going to have to observe these things. And the first one is verbs. Let let me just kind of put them on the screen here. Verbs, nouns, articles, conjunctions, connectives. I'm afraid to hit the screen one more time because I think that's all I have. Um, But that those are these are the kinds of things, when we're talking about the content, you want to observe these things. What's actually said? Now, um, let, let's try this a little bit. What's a verb? An action. Good. It's a word of action. Uh, what's a noun? Person, place, or thing. Great job, Aiden. Person, place, or thing. That's really good. Um, so, a person, place, or thing is going to do something or have something done to them. That's a noun and a verb. Or it's going to be. It's going to have a state of being. That's a, a noun and a verb. And so we want to observe that. The, the main thought in a sentence is going to happen through the verb. That's the main thing that's happening. Somebody is doing something or something is being done to something and we need to... to that's the main idea of a sentence. So the, the verb is very, very important. We want to find the main verb. And then we want to find the noun. Who's the subject or who's the object? Who's doing the thing and, and, or, or, or to whom is that thing being done to? Right? If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna throw the ball to Matthew, then I've got, it's me, Mike, throwing. That's the verb. Matthew, I'm throwing it over to, over there to him. And, and so he's going to catch it. Now there's, there's another verb. Matthew caught the ball. Good job, Matthew, right? And so we're, we're trying to observe these things and, and recognize what's happening in the passage that we're looking at. Other important words are articles. Is it, is it the faith or is it just faith, right? Is the is an article, um, or, conjunctions, words that join or join clauses or ideas together. And so that we've got our conjunctions. Um, maybe any of you guys know the, the, the little acronym to help you know the conjunctions? Fanboys, way to go. This is great. I'm so glad you guys are learning your grammar. That's very, very important. I think most of us older guys, we forget our grammar after about like grade five, six, seven, we, we lose it. It's very important to, to have our grammar. So fanboys, for, and, nor, but, or, yet, so, if you kind of take the first letter of each of those, you got your fanboys, and now you got all your conjunctions. And those are going to show you how words relate to one another. And so, um, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4. Let's see if we have any fanboys over there. Well, I, I'm not, 
Well, I bet you there is one there. See, even, even right away in verse 3, the very first word, if you're in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, it says, and. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And so right away, there's this and, and that's joining verse 3 to what came before already in verse 4. Um, other words that are very important is, is connectives. Uh, I just called them connective for simplicity. They're, um, they're ad, actually like um, adverbial conjunctions or something like that. But con- con- connectives like for or therefore are going to give us reasons or they're going to you know, introduce a concessive idea like this is the case, however, don't forget about that as well. Um, and so we want to, we just want to look at the words that are there and see how they function. That's, that's how we do observation. And so we want to ask, and I think this is really the main thing that you want to see when you come to a verse and you're looking at what does this verse teach? What does this verse say? Just think about what modifies what? Or how are these words connected? How is this sentence connected? What's the main verb? What's the main thought? What are, and, and even start to divide it out so that you, you see the verb and then you see the noun and then you see the, the things that describe the noun. Um, so, and some of this might not be even making sense, but but what modifies what? It, it's very important. And and actually, ladies, this is what you do in your women's Bible study. This is kind of what I'm secretly training you to do by asking all those questions I ask. I'm I'm really just getting you to to find those connections and think about what modifies what by asking questions that kind of lead you through that. And so, um. Yeah, that, and, and this really helps us to understand the Word of God. So we need to observe the content. What is there? What does it say? What does it mean? And, and what we're looking for as we, as we look at all these verbs and nouns and stuff, we're not just looking for information, but we're really looking for what we call authorial intent. We're, we're looking for what is the author trying to communicate to us. What is the author communicating? What is, what is he intending out of this passage? And what we're looking for then when we, we talk about authorial intent is we're looking for three things. We want to understand what the author said. We want to understand why they said what they said. And we want to understand what, what we call the so what, the expected response. And all communication has this. No matter what type of communication you're doing, there's always these three things involved. Somebody says or writes something. That's the what. There's a reason why they're, they're doing that and not just being silent. And then they, they expect something in, in response. They're, they're not just saying it for no reason. They want a response. And so when I come home from work, this I don't actually do this because I'm always already home. But if I did come home from work, I would say, hey, honey, I'm home. And I'm, I'm saying that because, not because Jody doesn't, obviously she knows I'm home if I walk in and she sees me, right? It, but I'm, I'm saying that because... I, I, I wanna, I wanna be acknowledged. You know, I, I, it's, it's a happy moment. So, I, you know, here, it's home time now or whatever, maybe, you know, whatever it is. And then, and then, um, and then I, I want a response. I, like I, I want her to say, Oh, great. Or some, or what? I don't know what I want, but at the, at that moment. But, 
Um, I, I'm saying it for some reason, right? I'm not just, it, it's not for no reason at all. And so any type of communication, even the most simple communication, something is said, there's a reason why it's said, and then there's an expected response that the person would have. And that's what we're trying to understand with the biblical authors. Why does, and, and this, I'll spend so much time on this in a week, like why is Matthew telling us about the feeding of the 5,000? Like, and, and I look at what he says and I, I, I try to carefully find every word and every phrase and, and I notice that he talks about compassion and I notice that, that he, um, he says something about the disciples giving out the food and, and I, you know, you're, you're noticing the details. You're noticing that he closes it with the, this great number of people that were fed and, and so it ends on that kind of note. And, and so you're, you're really trying to understand like why, why this story? Why did he put it here? And, and, and then what does he want the reader to do with this information? And of course this morning I think the idea would have been that he wants us to see who Jesus is. He wants us to see his compassion. He wants us to see his power in, in being able to create bread. And, and, and he wants us to respond by believing in him. And he also, if we're his disciples, then I think Matthew wants us to say, okay, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus and I'm going to be a learner of his, then I need to imitate his compassion. And I need to rely on his power. And so that, I think that's what Matthew want, how he wants me to respond. And, and so I'm getting what the author said and I'm starting to understand why he said it and I'm, I'm starting to understand already how he wanted that audience to respond. And now I gotta think about, okay, well, how am I gonna respond? And that's, that gets us into number two, application. But, um, this is all part of observing. I, I wanna understand these three things. These are very, very important in hermeneutics. This is what we're looking for. What did the author say? Why did he say it? How does he want the audience to respond? And, and really the way to do this is, is we want to get into the mind of the human author. The human author and the divine author are really the same thing. The, the scripture was inspired by God. It's ultimately God's word, but he wrote it through these human men. And so the human author and the divine author are really one. And there's, there's a meaning that they have. And that, that that author has intended and, and we want to get to that and we can get to it. And so we under, we, we study the content and we ask, what does it say? And then we start to ask, what does it mean? And, uh, how are we doing on time? Eight fifth, not quite eight fifteen. Um, <clears throat> let's, let's look at this passage. I think, I think we have uh, enough time. Um, yeah, let's look at this passage. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Um, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, in these two verses, how many sentences do we have here? What do you guys see? Just, just, just shout it out. 
Two. Great. Okay. Um, anybody in the first, in the first sentence in verse three, what's the main verb there? Uh, not quite. Nice try though. That's okay. If it, This, I was gonna say, this is a very tricky one, actually. It's, 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 um, it's always tricky when, oops, I didn't have it in, uh, the right way here. I gotta do that. It's right there. Is. Is. Um, those, these verbs, these words are kinda like action-y kinda words, perishing and stuff, and so there, I, I see why you're, why you kinda go there. Um, even if, Something is veiled. So what's the, what's, and I guess, you know what, I guess it is, is veiled. I think that's, that probably is the main verb. I should not be writing like that. It's too messy. Um, is veiled. What's veiled? Gospel? Good. Gospel. So that's your, your noun. That's the thing that's veiled. Now, what, what words describe the gospel? Our, great, okay, our gospel. Whose gospel is that? Who's our? Who's writing this letter? Paul. Who's with him? Yeah, whoever's, whoever Paul and whoever's with him there. Our gospel, the gospel of Paul and the disciples, even, now there's this kind of concessive idea, even if, even if this is the case, then, right? When you have an if, you want to find a then. Even if this gospel is veiled, here's, here's the other, here's the other half of that. So this is, um, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Sorry. Uh, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So if our gospel is veiled, here's who it's veiled to, those who are perishing. And that's a description of a group or a class of people. So we're just, we're just observing. We're just trying to see what does this say? Um, and then he continues on, in their case, in whose case? Unbelievers, or just specifically from verse three, what do you call those people? Those who are, yeah, those who are veiled or those who are perishing. So there's this group of people who are perishing and in their situation, in their case, the God of this world. And so here's a, I don't know what we call this. It's a, it's a noun and there's a description of it. The God of this world. What kind of a God? It's the God that's of the world of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And there's a, a verb there, has blinded. So the God of this world, of course, we know this is speaking about Satan. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So what did he blind? The minds. Great. He blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And then we can see things like, okay, well, unbelievers, they're the people who are veiled. And they're the people who are perishing. And they're the people who have been blinded by the devil. And what happens when they're blinded? We, you know, if we continue on, 
Well, this is the purpose, to keep. This is why the devil did this, to keep them from seeing. And what's he trying to keep them from seeing? Well, it's the, one of the longest little things that you, you'll ever find here that, that he keeps them from seeing. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers, and the purpose of that is so that they wouldn't see this whole chain of things that goes together, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so they're not seeing the light, and that light comes from the gospel, and that gospel comes from the glory of of Christ, and Christ is described by this word who, he's the image of God. And so the, the devil is blinding people so they don't see Sometimes I just shorten this up for us. They just, they don't see the glory of Christ. And the glory of Christ is shown to us in the gospel. And, uh, and unbelievers are blinded to that. They can't see it. Their, their minds are, are darkened to it. And so I don't know if that's even helpful, but it, it, it kind of just shows you what we're trying to do and, and what we're trying to see. And we're, we're trying to notice all these relationships between the words so that we can understand what the author has intended and what he's saying. And then we want to understand, well, why is he saying this? Of all the things that he could say, why is he saying this? And uh, how does he want us to respond to this? And uh, we're not going to do that for 2 Corinthians right now, but that's kind of the idea of what we're doing in observation. So then we come to interpretation, and that's where we kind of bring it all together and come to an understanding of the meaning. And so We've, we've asked, what does the author say? Now we're asking, what does this passage mean? What does this passage mean? And remember, as we, as we seek to do this, remember our, our helpers. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. He lives in us. He illumines us to the Word. We've been praying to Him. We've been prepared. We've been sanctified. We're growing in Christ. We're studying the Word. We're asking what it says. We remember that the Holy Spirit's with us. Another thing we have is we have teachers. We have other people who went before us who have already studied and have already walked with the Spirit and already learned from the Word of God, and and they've gone before us, and we can rely on them as well. And and when I talk about those who went before us, I'm talking about preachers and and teachers, but I'm I'm also talking about people who have interpreted or translated the Bible for us, people who've written commentaries, encyclopedias, other kinds of study Bibles, resources. We can trust the Holy Spirit, but we also trust what the Holy Spirit has done in their lives. And we need to compare it with the Word to see if it's true and right, but we, we're not so arrogant to think that we can do this all on our, on our own. We do this with the help of others. And so we use helpful resources like Bible dictionaries and concordances, Bible handbooks, study Bibles, encyclopedias, commentaries, other preachers and teachers, and um, we rely on the Holy Spirit ourselves and our own study, but we also take advantage of all of these things. And if you ever want like help on like, hey, what is a helpful Bible dictionary? What is a good encyclopedia? What what are good commentaries? I have I have all of that stuff down. I have a a list of the best commentaries in every book of the Bible. Um, in the, through the whole scripture and stuff. So I, and I, I keep track of things like that and I, I use those things weekly. And so, um, you can always just ask me about that. 
Now, another thing to keep in mind as we're thinking about the interpretation, we're trying to find the meaning. We, we need to remember that since Scripture is inspired by God and since He's a God of truth, it's not going to contradict itself. And so if we interpret a passage and we look at it and it's totally contradictory with something else that we've already studied and already know from Scripture, then we know that it, it must be wrong. One of, one of those two things is wrong, or they're both wrong. But if, if there's a contradiction, we need to go back and say, okay, I must have interpreted this one wrong, or I must have interpreted that wrong, or both of them are wrong, and so we need to just check ourselves as we interpret the Scripture. We know it's not going to contradict. Another thing that's that's important to know here is that there's only one correct interpretation of any passage. There's only one meaning that is intended by the author to the original hearers. There's not multiple meanings in a text. And that's why we never say, well, what does it mean to you? Because it it only means one thing, and that's what it means. And that one thing is what the author intended, which would be Matthew and God who together intended the one thing. And so we're looking for the one meaning. And the way that we find it is we need to understand what the author said, why he said it, and the so what. And when we understand those, we understand what the author was saying to us, and we get that one meaning. Now, um, I think this is where I wanted to... I, I forgot that I didn't have my Apple Pencil anymore, and so this is really hard. i got to write it kind of big, but um, this is going to get really embarrassing when I have to do the other thing. Um, that little dot there is the one meaning of the scripture. But then what I've got over here is, is significance. And of course I have to use big words, hey? Significance. It's hard to write on here like this. Okay. And I can't dot my eyes somehow. Um, so there's one meaning, but there's, there's a broad significance. And so, Sometimes what people will say is well, there's one meaning, there's, there's many applications. But application itself is not, it's not like we just come to the text and we say, oh, here's the meaning, and now I go and I apply it however I want. What we do is we understand the meaning, and the, the, the meaning of a text had a significance to the original hearers, and now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, to see where I fit into that whole scheme. And so, the, you know, we don't go... Like, if the meaning is this, this little dot here, there's already built into that uh, an application to the original hearer. So, again, like I said with Matthew today, that one of the things that we could say was an application in Matthew is that Jesus is compassionate and a disciple of his, if we're going to be a follower of his, we also should be compassionate. And so... That's, that's already, let's say, let's, let's say that's here. That's like the intended impact or one of the intended impacts that Matthew has for his original audience. Well, then that, that means we don't go over here and, and do something totally different. You know, we're, we're within this, the sphere of the significance that Matthew intended. And so right built into the word already is what the word means and how I should apply it to my life. In, in other, those two things aren't separate. Matthew has an intended application for his hearers. We need to take that and apply it to ourselves. And there's this, this range that, that will fit us 
But there's other things that are outside of that range that we just, it's not valid. So I don't go to that passage and just say, well, the, you know, the way to apply that is that a, a wife should submit to her husband. It has nothing to do with that. And I have no right to try to apply the text in that way because it, it, that's totally out of range. And so if I want to talk about that, we need to go to other texts. Um, and so that's, that's kind of this idea. There's one meaning, but there's a, a very broad significance. And, and the direction of that is already set. And, and now I just need to draw out of the word and, and learn how to apply that to my life. Um, and so that's what we're talking about when we talk about application. Uh, what did I do here? So what we're asking at this point is, what effect will this have on my life? Or what effect should this have on my life? How do I, how do I live this out? Or, or what should I do, think, or believe based on what this passage teaches? Or what should I not do or not think or not believe in obedience to what this passage teaches? That's, that's how we're getting into the application of a text. Um, Alec Moyer, in it, uh, it's actually Motyer, Alec Motyer, there's a T after the O that's supposed to be there. Um, Alec Motyer said, talking about um, expository and applicatory preaching, he, he said about applicatory preaching that he says, the word of God brought home to the hearers as a truth to be believed, a way of life to be followed, a rule to be obeyed, a promise to be embraced, a sin to be avoided, an example to be followed, a blessing to be enjoyed. And I think if we come to Scripture and we understand what it means, I think we'll find one of those things in any passage. There's there's a truth to be believed. There's a, a way of life to follow. There's a rule to obey. There's a promise to embrace, a sin to avoid, an example to be followed, a blessing to be enjoyed. Uh, another way to to think about this is in your book there, and it's the, the SPECS acronym. And so every passage is going to have one of these things, I, I think pretty much, a sin to forsake, a promise to claim, an example to follow, a command to obey, or a stumbling block to avoid. And so there, that kind of you know spells the acronym there, SPECS. And so sometimes we'll say, you need to put your specs on and, and see, how do I apply this? Well, what is the passage talking about? Is there a promise there? Is there something that we're supposed to think different? Is there an example for us there? Is there a commandment in that text? Is there something that we should avoid that's going to lead us astray, a stumbling block of, of sorts that's something, the false teaching or something? We need to stay away from that. Is there a sin in that passage that's described? And, and so th- this is kind of ways to help us think about how do we apply the Word of God to our lives. We, we want to f- follow those things. Another way to think about it, I, I think sometimes we, um, we, uh, we forget about certain areas of application. Um, and, and I think this is, this is from Abner Chow, and this is, this is really helpful for me. Um, his, that's supposed to say, uh, historical. Often in the Old Testament, you think about it, there's a, there's just historical events, right? You read the book of Kings and it tells you about the kings and, and what they did and how they reigned and, and whatever. There's these, there's these historical events that sometimes an author just wants us to understand. But when the scripture is describing historical events, it's always from the perspective that God is sovereign and in control of what's happening in history. And so the, the authors of scripture are expecting us to recognize that, that God is is working in history, accomplishing his purposes. 
And sometimes they just want us to know what he did. And so that's, that's kind of the, the beginning aspect of, of application is just to understand the historical situation, the historical reality. And, and that kind of leads us then to another number two here is, um, is God and, and theology. Theology. And so this, this dot here is number two. The, what's happening in the historical situation in scripture often will tell us something about God and it will tell us something about theology. And then as we kind of go along here, uh, other things, other ways that scripture applies to us, number three is, um, what, what we're going to call a moral response. Told you that would get embarrassing. Moral response. I'm like I'm a kindergarten here trying to draw this. And, uh, and then over here, number four is, is just a, what we're going to call worldview. World. These are, these are, this is another way to kind of think about applying scripture. So, sometimes, sometimes we just, the authors just want us to understand what happened in a situation. I think that was partly the case in Matthew today. Just, Matthew just wants us to tell, to us to know that Jesus fed 5,000 people and that was a historical reality. And if we just know that and think that, that's part of what he wants, how he wants us to apply the text. But he had more that what, what happened in that situation tells us about God, tells us about Christ, tells us about some theological truths that, that are helpful for us to know as well so that we can worship God and worship Christ and know who he is. That's part of application as well. That's part of the so what. But then sometimes it even goes beyond that. And Matthew didn't do that so much today. But uh, an example that I often think of is, is be holy for I am holy. And so there's this command, a moral response that's expected. We're to be holy. Why? Well, because over here, we understand that God is holy. And how did we re- understand that? Well, because number one, it was revealed through history that God is a holy God as he worked out his plans of redemption. And then fourthly, we, we want to some, just sometimes understand just the, the whole world and the way that God created the world. And, um, and so we, w- we want to understand kind of what's happening in the world. Why is there sin in the world? Why are things the way that they are? And that's worldview and and oftentimes the scripture just wants us to kind of understand things from God's perspective that's our worldview and so all of these four things one two three four are are part of application as well and so often I think when we think about application we're always over here we want to see what's the moral response what do I do and it's not always the case sometimes the scripture just wants us to think differently about something sometimes it just wants us to understand a historical reality that happened um, but but often there's more to it that in that historical reality we're supposed to see God working, and uh, and and so those are four areas of application that that I think are really helpful as we read the scripture as well. So I like the specs. I think this is even in some ways a little bit better. John MacArthur in your FOF book, page twenty one, he says, while there is only one correct interpretation of a given passage. There are many applications. And uh, the fifth one in your thing is repetition. And there's really not much to say about that. You just We just got to do it again and again and again. And remember, hermeneutics is an art 
and a science. It's a skill. And, and we get better at it. Just like anything else in our life, we can get, we can get better. We can improve. We can improve in our interpretation of scripture. And, and the best way to improve is just by doing it over and over again. Be in the word of God. Observe. Work hard at it. Like, you know, even just doing Second Corinthians 4 there and just looking at those words, it's a little bit of hard work, but we need to work hard in order to understand the Scripture. We need to do our best to rightly handle the Scripture. And so we, we do it again and again, and, and we get better, and we grow at it. There's a little exercise in your book there, and uh, we're not going to do that, but you were going to look at Matthew 6.33, and just do some observation there and application. Um, maybe next time when we come back here, we'll, we'll just kind of quickly go over that. Maybe we'll all kind of have seen your homework by then and we'll, we'll kind of go over and, and maybe talk about that passage. Um, closing quote by John MacArthur. <laughs> you guys are nervous now or something. Don't worry. I'm very gracious in my marking as you saw last time. Um, John MacArthur says, it is necessary also to study Scripture in order to help others. You can't really help anybody unless you know something they need to know. God never put a premium on ignorance. Your ignorance not only makes you unable to help yourself, but it makes you unable to help anybody else. And Christianity is all about helping other people, isn't it? How best can you help a person in trouble? By showing them God's solution to their trouble. How best can you solve a person's problem by knowing what the Bible says about their problem and how to handle it? So you are able to help others when you know the Word of God. And I think that's just really, really important. We want to, we want to study the Scripture. We want to know the Scripture so that we can be helpful to one another. So that not only can we help ourselves, but we can help our brothers and sisters in Christ to grow and glorify God in their lives. And so, um, that's how to know the Bible. That's the, the study process. If you have any more questions about that, uh, we can talk about that anytime. Uh, next time, we will be in lesson three, and we're going to start talking about God and his attributes. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Um, some of these things are, are, are heavy, deep things, Lord, but uh, we, we really do want to be workers who don't need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Help us to know your word and to apply it to our lives so that we can be useful and fruitful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.